be seated and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 29. We're going to continue in this. And um, it's a story I heard a long time ago about the hillbillies who went to town and they uh, went into a bank and there's an elevator. They'd never seen an elevator before. And there was Paul, and there was his son, and they watched the wall opened up, and they were just amazed. Then they watched this decrepit, ugly old lady walk into that wall, and the door shut. And they were like, What happened? Where'd she go? The next thing they know, the doors open up, and this beautiful, young blonde walks out and the little boy goes Paul what happened and Paul goes I don't know but go get your ma and run her through that thing <laughs> I want to talk to you today about the change that is made whenever we come to know Christ and whenever it is that we are able to be transformed the Bible says we are new creatures in Christ but sometimes when I look back when I first was saved, I didn't look all that much different. And in some ways, I didn't act all that much different. And yet the Bible says that everything had changed. And I want to use what we're covering this morning to talk about how God takes a sinful man like Aaron and changes him into a holy priest. Because as you know, the scripture says... When we were saved, we became priests. I don't need a priest other than Jesus. You don't need a priest other than Jesus. We go to the Father through him, and we have access like priests do. Well, so, so what does God do when he changes Aaron from the person that he was to the person that he wants him to be? How does that happen? And the Bible in the New Testament tells us everything in the Old Testament was written for us, for our admonition. And so we want to learn from these uh, situations. Now we go from the offering that we saw last week of a bull to the offering of rams. Now a ram is a male sheep and uh, the father in the herd and all of that, but also the protector of the herd. Rams are not prey, but they are not predators either. But at the same time, they're not afraid to back down from anybody and they challenge anyone and anything that might be a threat to the herd. When we think about rams and we think about them biblically, we think about in Genesis 15, when God made a covenant with Abraham, <clears throat> they divided a ram and they put it on either side and then you would walk through it. It was, it was based on the old... Uh, suzerain covenants they'd been around long before anything god did and the hebrew word for covenant is barit and it literally means to cut they wouldn't say we made a covenant we cut a covenant and the idea was if either one of us breaks this what happened to these animals may it happen to us so but they would walk in between the carcasses of animals that had been cut up divided what well, we think about that because a ram was used in that when God made a covenant with uh, Abraham. But also, if you're like me, you think about another instance when 
God told Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, go to the mountain and sacrifice him unto me. So Abraham took his son Isaac, and you remember that uh, Isaac along the way, he said, Father, we have everything we need for the sacrifice except the most important thing, the animal. And you remember Abraham said, don't worry, son, God will provide himself a lamb. So they get up there, and Isaac, to his credit, lets Abraham, who was an old, old man by that time, bind him up and put him on the altar. Or maybe Isaac got up on the altar. And Abraham, with a broken heart and yet tremendous faith, is getting ready to sacrifice his son. Remember, he raised his hand with the knife. And then what happened? He was told then, do the child no harm, let him go. And then there was caught in the thicket, what was it? A ram. A ram. And it reminds us then of, uh, of those situations. And so uh, the Lord changes from the offering of a bull to the offering of not one but two rams. Isn't it interesting that where you have several animals involved in this, the bull and two rams, and we also read about other animals that would be sacrificed to the Lord, and yet Jesus did it all in one sacrifice. But all of those sacrifices would point to him. So Exodus chapter 29. And um, as we start reading this story about the ordination of Aaron, we uh, are told exactly what's supposed to happen. It must not have been necessarily a pleasant event. There are things, that there's a lot of bloodshed. There, are, uh, there is uh, smoke and fire and the burning of flesh and fur and all of that kind of thing. But God's got a different view of it than anyone else would have, maybe even than you might have. Let's start reading at verse 15. And I want you to write down the word substitute or substitution or some form of the word like that. How does God make a sinful man into a holy priest? Well, he does it by substitution. Verse 15, you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. They were identifying with the ram and identifying with the fact that their sin needed to be put on something else. Verse 16, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take the blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, when you think about that section of Scripture, you think about the fact that no one comes to the Lord on their own. No one comes without a substitute. Even Aaron and even you, your sin has to be put somewhere and on someone. Now, in this case, was the ram something mystical and magical that could take sin away? No. But it was a picture of the one who would later come and do that. And laying their hands on the ram, they were identifying with that ram. You are dying in my place, just as Jesus, of course, died in our place. 
Now, what do you suppose when they burned that ram? What do you suppose that it smelt like? You've smelt burning food before. You've had times maybe when you came in the house and smoke is coming out of the oven. Or if you grill outside, maybe something went horribly wrong there and you raise the lid and your hamburgers are in flames. It's not necessarily a, a pleasant smell. But in this situation, did you notice at the end of that section, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. There's an old song that says, See my Jesus on the cross... Looking on, a man would think it tragedy. Certainly they would. It's a horrible situation. But what this world could not see is when they nailed him to the tree, that he would break the chains of sin's captivity because love grew where the blood fell. Remember that song? And in the same way, what people saw was this dead animal being burned on the altar, and they might even have turned away, maybe even held their nose, And yet God in heaven, because of obedience and because of the sin being placed on the substitute, he goes, ah, and it's a pleasing aroma. When you were saved, it was a pleasing aroma to God. You went from death to life. You went from corruption to being made whole. You went from something repulsive to something that was beloved by God And all of that happens as a substitute. The ram didn't die for himself. Neither did Christ die for himself. But he died for us. And it's a sweet smelling aroma to God. Isaiah 53.10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Why? Because that would be our salvation. That was part of the plan That took away sin, and the Lord is always pleased and happy whenever sin is taken away and defeated. Now, the second word I want you to write down is the word consecrated or consecration or whatever form you want to do. Look at verse 19. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and then you shall kill the ram... And take some of his blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. Hmm. And on the big toe of their right foot. And sprinkle the blood around on the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil. And sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him, and he and his garments shall be hallowed. Hallowed, they shall be holy. And his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram and the fat of the tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat on them, the right, and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of, here's your word, consecration. The ram of consecration. And so when God takes somebody and makes a sinner holy, there has to be a substitute to bear their sin. And then there has to have there has to be something that happens to them. They are consecrated. This is a ceremony of Aaron's consecration. Well, what in the world? Does it mean to be consecrated? 
The word consecration, interestingly enough, the ancient Hebrew word for it actually meant to take a gemstone and to set it. If you are wearing an engagement ring and you have a diamond on that ring, I want you to look at that diamond. And if you're sitting by someone that has one, look at that diamond. And I want you to think about the fact that that diamond for thousands of years was buried in the ground. A miner sometime, maybe in South Africa or somewhere, found it, cut it out of the rock and brought it up from underground. But if you could see it then, it wouldn't look like much. It's encased in stone and ore and things like that. So they had to take it and they had to cut all of that off of it. Then they had to take the diamond and cut it to the shape that it is in in your ring and polish it and make it so that it would really sparkle and really shine and really be impressive. And in the same way, the Lord took us out of the depths of sin and death and depravity. He brought us out and he took that which was, had encased us and it's gone now. And now there's a diamond of his grace that is shining through. And what is he doing in our life in sanctification? He is cutting that diamond to make it into the shape where it will reflect as much light and show brilliance as much as possible. And so you and I, as we are being sanctified, why does God take some things away from us? He's not really taking them away from you. He is actually making you into the diamond that he wants you to be. The diamond cutter is doing that. If you cooperate, that's a good thing. If you rebel against it, as the hammer comes down with the chisel, then it's going to be more painful. Cooperate with the Lord. And the idea of being consecrated is God taking that diamond out of the earth and fixing it up and then setting it in to a ring or setting it into the breastplate of Aaron with the names of the children of Israel. They are consecrated. They are taken from one place and set aside for a completely different use and made beautiful in another. And that's what God did to you when he saved you. He made something beautiful out of your life. He has set you in the body of Christ, given you a spiritual gift, and you are now his purchased possession. And he loves you, and you are a trophy of grace. And like that diamond that's in your ring or on your necklace, you are to shine forth with the love and the light of Christ because you have been consecrated just like Aaron was consecrated. John MacArthur said, daubing the blood on the right ear, the hand and the big toe, symbolically sanctified the ear to hear the word of God, the hand to do the work of God, <clears throat> and the foot to walk in the way of God. And that, brothers and sisters, is consecration. It is submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, would you write down the word acceptable? You who were once an enemy of the cross and something that was dead in trespasses and sins have now been made acceptable. And more importantly, the sacrifice that Christ made was acceptable to God the Father. You could offer all the sacrifices of as many things, people, animals, and stuff that you wanted to, but until you found the one acceptable, it wouldn't do any good. Look at verse 23. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread, 
that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons. And you shall, this is interesting, you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. There that is again. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now it's interesting as I think about that sweet aroma, and it brought back memories. Do you remember back when I-40 was going right through downtown and uh, it was elevated? And right about the Robinson Street exit, there was a Wonder Bread plant. Remember that? I can remember driving by there on my motorcycle and just kind of slowing down and going, ah, is there anything that smells better? And this sweet aroma to the Lord, I want you to think of it like that. And think about how it pleased the Lord in these sacrifices to redeem somebody. And the sacrifice is not something that the Lord goes, oh, get that over with. Get the Febreze out. The sacrifice is something that gets God's attention and makes him go, oh, because finally something that humans have done is acceptable to him. Just like the death of Christ was acceptable to the Lord on our behalf. And so this sweet aroma, this thing is a pleasant thing. It is a wonderful thing. And it's something that God has done to us. And he has also done it by us. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Brothers and sisters, it's not just a sacrifice that became acceptable. But when you submitted to the Lordship of Christ and put your faith in Him as the payment for your sins, all of a sudden you, a dead sinner, a rebel against God, an enemy of the cross, a sinful person, at that moment you were justified and you became acceptable to God. Now you're in His family. Now you're in His presence. Now he lives in you. All of those wonderful things. And there's a place, an inheritance that is laid aside for you in heaven. There's a place prepared for you in heaven. And you're welcomed in heaven because you are accepted. You may be rejected on earth. And you may be rejected by people here on earth. But good news. You have been accepted by God because of the acceptable sacrifice of God and when God looks at his children and when God looks at the sacrifice of Christ, just like he did when the rams were sacrificed to Aaron, he goes, oh, that smells good because it's holy and it's pure and you've been changed from something you were not into something now that you are a saint of God and a priest of God. Somebody say amen to that. You are a saint of God. The next word, write down the word peace. And because the sacrifice is accepted, and because you have been made acceptable to God, it results in peace. Peace with God, and uh, the peace of God as well. Verse 26. Then you shall take the 
breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel uh, from the sacrifices of their, what? What's your Bible say? Peace. Peace offerings. That is their heave offering to the Lord. Now first of all, a wave offering? And a peace offering? What in the world was that about? Wouldn't you kind of feel silly taking part of that and waving it before the Lord? That's what they did. Why did they do that? It was a symbol that what I have in my hands comes from you and it is for you. And I'm presenting it to the Lord even though we're going to find out that Aaron and his sons were going to have part of this that they could eat. But they were recognizing that everything they had belonged to the Lord, was for the Lord, and that God had blessed them with it. But notice how it is an offering that is called a peace offering. I think a lot of us don't really understand and realize that before salvation, humans are at war with God. There is no peace. He's going one way, we're going another, and we're going against Him. We are offending Him. We are despising Him. We are rebelling against Him. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I believe it's in the book of Philippians, that we are, we're enemies of the cross. Now, I didn't feel like I was an enemy of the cross, but if you think about the cross represents... Man's utter depravity and helplessness to save himself, and Jesus is the only way, then I guess I was an enemy of the cross. Every moment that I existed as an unsaved person, I was doing it my way. I was doing it on my own. I was doing what I wanted to do, and I was an enemy of cross or an enemy at war with grace. But on that day in 1982, when I finally saw my sin by the grace of God, and when I prayed and asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior and forgive me of my sins and I surrendered to His Lordship, I really did feel something when that happened. I felt the release of a burden. I felt at peace. But the most important thing is not how I felt. That's kind of irrelevant when you think about it. The fact that something happened that I could not see and that I could not feel, all of a sudden hostilities ceased between me and the God of the universe. All of a sudden, God looked upon me with favor. All of a sudden, I was no longer just a citizen here on earth. I became a citizen of heaven. I became a child of God. I passed from death into life, from, light, from darkness into light. And my sins were all paid for, past, present, and future. And I became a child of God, a priest unto God, a part of God's holy family, because now there exists peace between me 
and between God. And the moment you got saved, hostility ceased. And the peace treaty was signed in heaven between you and the God you were at war with. And no ink was used. It was signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood brings us peace. In fact, the Bible says that Christ himself is our peace. And we are in him and he is in us. And so if God be for us, who can be against us? Why? We have peace with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. All of that's over. The war is over. And nothing will ever separate you from God. Read Romans chapter 8 if you don't believe that. And it makes it possible for us to have not just peace with God, but even the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now that one's not automatic. You need to do some study on that to find out what you have to do to get that peace. But the peace leads us to the next word I want you to write down. Fellowship. Sinful man is able to have fellowship with a holy God. Look at verse 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. When it's their turn, in other words. Verse 30. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. And then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they shall eat those things with which the uh, atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Fellowship. Having a meal with God. Setting down in the presence of God in that holy place, the tabernacle, and being able to eat part of what was sacrificed to God. They were meeting together, sinful man and holy God, meeting on the basis of the sacrifice. I would ask you today, what do you have in common with God? And what does God have in common with you? Now when I say, what do I have in common with God? Well, I'm made in the image of God, that would be one thing. But God is not made in my image, so that's not something we have in common. He's holy, I'm sinful. He's righteous, I'm unrighteous. We could go on and on and on and on. But why, why is it that I can have fellowship with God today? What do we have in common? The fellowship, we're on the same boat. What do we have in common? Here it is, the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ because he required it and it satisfied him. And the blood of Jesus Christ because I needed it and it cleanses me from sin. And you and I meet with God always and only on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the door is open for us to actually fellowship and have something in common with God. And to be able to have a 
meeting place where a holy God and sinful man can come together and we come together again on the basis of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder it's sweet to the Lord. He has reconciled all of his dead, erring children and brought them unto himself for his glory. And then the last word, write down the word sanctify. Oh, do two words, sanctifying obedience. You and I can obey God before we're saved all we want. And it doesn't give us a single point with God, does it? You and I can do all the right things as a lost person. And what does it merit you and what does it gain you? Absolutely nothing. You've got to get it in order. You have to be justified before you can be sanctified. Now, a lot of people are gathered in churches today where they're doing just the opposite. They're going to church because they're trying to make themselves acceptable to God. They take the Lord's Supper. They take a Eucharist. They take all kinds of things. They give an offering. And they do that so that they might become worthy of the Lord. Well, you are not worthy. You've never been worthy. Your only worthiness is the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And it's only because of what he has done and the fact that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, now things start counting. Now things start mattering. And your works do matter unto the Lord. It's sanctifying obedience. Verse 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Don't modify it. Don't leave it out. Don't change it. Don't do something else. Do all that I've commanded you. That's sanctification. In seven days you shall consecrate them, <clears throat> and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement, and you shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar <clears throat> and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. And you shall do all that I have commanded. How many times has he said that in this one section? No matter how expensive it may be. No matter how tedious it may be. No matter how boring it may be. No matter how exciting it may be. It doesn't matter. We're to do everything that God commands. And we're to do it all in the way that he commands. And this signifies, of course, total commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can you be saved without Jesus being lord of your life? And the Bible answers with an emphatic no. If he's not lord of all your life, he's not lord at all in your life. And so you don't get saved one day and then maybe a few years later have an experience with Christ and then make him Lord. Two things wrong with that. Number one, you don't make him Lord. And number two, you can't be saved until you acknowledge that he is Lord. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. And in addition to that, believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Then you get the promise, thou shalt be saved right and so when we think about people who get saved and then continue to live any way they want to live with no interest in the lord no hunger for the things of god no conviction over their sin 
No directional change. Nothing like that at all. What is the problem? Well, they may have walked an aisle and prayed a prayer thinking this is what will make me acceptable to God. Sadly, it doesn't. Only, only, only the death of Jesus Christ makes you acceptable to God. And only when you repent of your sins and only when you trust in the death of Christ as the full payment for your sin and only when you surrender to him as Lord, Master, and Boss do you receive the gift of salvation. That's how Aaron became a holy priest of God through each one of these steps. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And I said when I first started, when I first got saved, I didn't look or act just a whole lot different. But God would say, oh, contrary to what you see, contrary to what you feel, from my perspective, everything changed. And I became a new creature in Christ. Now I've got to be sanctified. Now I've got to grow in grace. Now I've got to, get, got to get rid of sin. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, he came out by the power of Christ. And the first thing Jesus said was, loose him from the grave clothes. I'm saved and you're saved by the power of Christ. Now what needs to happen? Through sanctifying obedience... Take off the grave clothes. You stink. You look terrible. You're all bound up. And so what happens? You've got to get saved first. Then you have to have the grave clothes taken off of you and out of your life. So think about all of these things and think about what the Lord has done for you. Jesus was your substitute. You've been consecrated like that gemstone taken out of the depths of the earth and cleaned up polished up, shined up, and cut just the way God wants you so that you can be set as a precious jewel, a gem in uh, his, his ornaments. Think about the fact that none of that would happen except that Christ would be the acceptable sacrifice for you, making you acceptable unto the Lord. Think about the fact that because you are acceptable with God, you have peace with God. Hostility cease. He is for you. He lives in you. He is the one that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. He blesses you. Think about the fact that because you have peace with him, you have the opportunity to fellowship with him and to partake of that sacrifice and to sit down at a table with the Lord and to have something in common with Him. Think about the fact that you can pray to Him. Think about the fact that He hears your cry. He hears you tell your troubles to Him. He hears your request and He hears them because you have peace with God and fellowship with God. And think about the fact that all through your Christian life, you are doing what God has commanded you. You are learning to obey Him. You're more obedient today than you were a year ago. You're more like Christ now than you were a decade ago. Sanctifying obedience and all of this happens not to make you new, but because you have been made new because of all that Christ has done for you. So how does God take a sinful man like Aaron and make him into a holy priest? <clears throat> well, we've seen that today. 
But more importantly, how does he take a sinner like you and make you into something that is holy and acceptable unto him? And there you see it in the picture, and it all points back to Christ. It all points to his grace, and we access that grace by faith alone, in Christ alone, and in the payment of his sin alone. And then a door opens up and everything becomes new, but not until then. So I want to ask you today, are you saved? Do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? Are you sure about that? And the answer that comes to your mind should not be, well, I walked an aisle. Well, I went down front. Well, I prayed a prayer. Well, I go to church. Well, I'm a moral person. The answer should be because I have surrendered myself to the one who died on the cross for me. And he and he only is the way to being right with God, to salvation. Can you say that? Can you honestly say that? If you can't, Will you trust Him today? Will you trust Him today? And for those of you that have, how are you doing in your sanctification? To Him that knows to do good, that would be you, and does not do it, to Him it is sin. And sin is holding you back. It's stopping your prayers. It's stopping your growth. It's taking away your joy and your peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Get rid of sin. It's not a friend. It's not liberating you. It is an enemy. And as God said to Moses in this, you do not just what I command, but A-L-L. What's that spell? All. How you doing in your sanctification? So if you've never been saved, trust him. And if your growth is stunted and you have sin in your life, confess it and forsake it and move on to greater heights in the grace of God. I'd like for us to bow our heads. I'd like for us to close our eyes. How many of you know somebody you can think and identify and call them by name, somebody who is still dead in their trespasses and sins, and they have not come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord? Would you just raise your hand up just... Put your hand up in the air. See, it may be a spouse. It may be a child. It may be a neighbor. Maybe a work associate. You have been called as an ambassador of Christ to take the gospel to them. Would you begin to pray now during this time for that person? Number one, that God would save them. And number two, that God would give you the opportunity to be involved in their redemption through witnessing to them, sharing the gospel with them. Would you pray for an opportunity to speak to them about Christ? We were left here on earth to be witnesses for Jesus. Now secondly, if your life is not what you know it should be, What are you going to do about that? You can live life and just go, well, everybody messes up, everybody sins. No, you don't want to do that. 
What you want to do is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How long has it been since you brought your sin before the Lord, laid it down before him, and walked away from it? Solomon said in Proverbs, He who confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. Well, that's what you want, to be set free. Father, our prayer today is for the lost and the saved alike. For the lost to come to know Christ and for you to give us the opportunity to witness to them. And then our prayer is for saved people to be sanctified by bringing them to a state where they obey all that you command, all that they understand about that. And forgive us when we are so hesitant to do so. Bless us. Draw us. And thank you that we have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ from sinners into saints. We've been made holy and acceptable by the blood of Christ. Praise your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this prayer. Amen.